0: This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of a brave knight, where we'll see why you shouldn't let dragons off with a warning, give adult beverages to horses, or take a break from that epic monster fight to do some skinny dipping. The creature this week is a little Scottish mouse who will poison you or help you make tea. This is Myths and Legends, episode 210, Dragons, dragons everywhere. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins, and others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is Russian in origin, and it comes to us from an epic set in pretty much the same period as the story of Guthrum we just told, but about 700 miles southeast. We head to Eastern Europe, in the time of Vladimir the Great, whose mom actually shows up in Norse sagas, but that's not really relevant. As in Iceland and Norway, it's a time of great change throughout Russia. Christianity's spread is causing upheaval as the old ways change, and Russia is no exception, though it plays a much smaller role in today's story than it has over the past month, amounting to little more than a magical hat. Anyway, we start today not in the worlds of kings or czars, but with the peasant family, just as a young man hears the call to adventure and sets out on his own. Okay, don't go to the Saracen Mountains, don't trample on baby dragons, and oh, don't rescue Russian captives or bathe in the pooch River. Don't do that either the woman said to the boy, for the thousandth time. <sighs> okay, mom, the boy replied. No, I am your mom, and I'm telling you, don't do those things. Look, I was young once too. I get that you want to be a famous knight, famous bogatier like your father, but after he died, you're all I have left, and I'll not have you going off and getting yourself killed because you wouldn't listen to a few simple things. Now, one more time, where should you stay away from? The Saracen Mountains, the boy replied. And what should you, under no circumstances, do? His mom pressed. Trample baby dragons. What about the other two? The boy knit his brow. He'd heard the remaining warnings, just as often as the first two, and his eagerness to hit the road had finally melted into impatience. Oh, don't rescue Russian captives and don't bathe in the river. Which river? The mother demanded stepping between her son and the door. Oh my gosh, mom, the Poochai River. Jeez. Dobrynya, the boy, spat as he wiped his mom's kiss from his cheek. His mom insisted that this was important. She wasn't just saying this for her health, but she was saying this for his, so he wouldn't, you know, die. The Poochai River had sparks, fire, and smoke rising from its currents. This was serious. Dobrynya rolled his eyes again. Yeah sure it was. Dobrynyl left home that day, setting out on his grand adventure. He hefted his pack, strapped a sword to his side, and made off toward the mountains. He was going to the capital. He was going to Kiev to present himself to Vladimir, to become a bogatir, a medieval Russian knight. But first, he had to make it there. The journey proved difficult, but the boy was determined. He shivered at night, huddled around a small campfire. He sweltered by day, straining beneath his pack in the blaze of the sun. He crossed foothills, slowly but surely, and eventually found his way into the mountains. Making camp for the night, the boy settled into a nearby river for a long overdue bath. He would cross to the other side of the mountains in the morning, he decided with a long exhale. For now, this was nice. He closed his eyes, listening to the water lapping around him, and stretched. Time to check the old map, he told himself. Continuing to soak, Dobrinja pulled out his map to see where he was. Huh, Poochai River. He vaguely remembered hearing something about this. Oh well, weird. It was then that all the pieces snapped into place as he looked again at the map. The Poochai River. Oh no, the Poochai River. This was in the Saracen Mountains. Oh boy. His mind flashed earlier that day, when he was making his way through a mountain pass. He'd heard a snarling, but like a small, cute snarling. So he parted some leaves, and found a whole brood of recently hatched baby snakes. Except, those snakes had legs, tails, and like three or four heads apiece. On second thought, those might not be snakes at all. They were dragons. Epic hero that he was sure to be the boy had bravely raised his hiking boots and crushed the nest again and again until all twelve snarls fell silent. He'd nodded to himself. Even the best bogateers hadn't killed six dragons, and that was only half the number he had just killed. Of course, they would be a lot bigger on later retellings, but, you know, you're welcome, world, Dobrinius said to himself as he scraped baby dragon off of his boot and continued on up the mountain. Now, however, he was restless as he sat in the river. He had gone to the Saracen Mountains, bathed in the puchai River, and trampled baby dragons. Uh, well, the trample was generous. Stomped on was a little more accurate. He felt like trampling implied walking or movement. Also, he was here in the Poochai River and saw no fire, sparks, or smokes rising from the currents. Mom had been worried about nothing. It was just a river. With a beautiful mountain scene, some frogs, fish, and a 12-headed dragon sitting next to him, Dobrynya settled back down into the water to close his eyes. Wait. His eyes snapped open and the dragon roared. 24 eyes stared down at him as Dobrynya pushed away from the shore, an attempted smile plastered below those panicked eyes. When bravely murdering baby dragons in their nest, it might have been a good idea to give a thought, like any thought whatsoever to the mother of said baby dragons because she was here right now and she didn't come to play. She hissed that she would kill Dobrinya for what he had done. She would crush him and then she would carry him away as a captive. At this point, Dobrinya probably would have shared that Mama Dragon should really reverse those threats to be the most effective, but he was already underwater. The dragon had trampled his campfire and wholly occupied the shore with all of his gear. So as he scrambled naked from the opposite side, he took solace in knowing that, despite it literally costing him the shirt on his back, he had gotten away. However, all satisfaction was short-lived, because the angry dragon immediately started wading across. Dabrinha darted left and right, but found no means of escape. Fine then, his only option was to stay and make a stand. After all, to be a hero, he needed to act like one, get his head in the game. Unfortunately, this little pep talk ate up the remainder of the dragon's travel time, and soon she was upon him. it jumped and rolled backwards, not at all intentionally, and reached for the first thing his hand found, a hat. He didn't have time to wonder why a pointy Greek hat was out here in a mountain range in Russia, or why said hat will be worse than pretty much anything else he could have used, up to and including his own fists. But he struck out with it, eyes closed, and the dragon shrieked. Dobryny opened his eyes, fully expecting those eyes to be in two different places in the dragon's digestive system right now, but he found instead that the dragon was pinned beneath the hat. For some reason, The dragon couldn't move the hat, no matter how hard she tried. It sat there at the nexus of all of her necks. She was... suffocating? She was dying. For a whole minute, Debringia just... stood there, watching this scene play out. Wow, that was a freebie. You know, he didn't know what all those old stories were always going on about. Dragon fighting? Super easy, he'd just done it naked. Just find a magical hat to throw on the dragon's necks at the last possible moment. Easy peasy. Now, if you're wondering about the hat, well, so was I the first time I read this story. But then I dug a little deeper. The hat, specifically Greek in origin in this poem is thought to represent the ongoing Christianization of the region. So, this isn't just a magically heavy hat, but rather a symbol of God, and thus, God's power coming down completely on a traditional symbol of evil, the serpent. Dobrynyet didn't know any of that though. And so, as he sat there, naked, watching the dragon suffocate and die, under the literal and metaphoric weight of the hat, he grew bored. I mean, yeah, this thing was dying, but it, sure was taking its time getting there. Maybe he would just lift up the hat and talk to it a little. You know, while it died. Personally, I was expecting a dragon, a monster, and an actual symbol of evil to be a little, you know, evil. Instead, grappling with her own mortality, the dragon was already on to stage 3. Bargaining. She begged the very obviously strong and still naked knight why hadn't he put his clothes on yet? She begged him, please. She had already lost her children today. Show her mercy and she would be like his sworn sister. She wouldn't fly to Holy Russia. She wouldn't carry away the Christian people and she wouldn't take any more Russian captives. The dragon that had seemed so powerful, so fearsome, was now pitiful. She was begging for her life, pleading to stood up straight he would need her to pledge that she truly would not do the things that she had just promised not to do. The dragon, of course, agreed. And so, Dobrynya lifted the hat. Immediately, the dragon scrambled out from beneath its weight, unfurled her wings, and took to the sky. In moments, she was gone. As Dobrynya finally dressed, he nodded to himself. Being a hero felt good. After all, had the right thing to do really been to kill this poor creature who was like a bite and a half away from eating him if he hadn't lucked into a magical and or holy hat? The answer to that, of course, is absolutely. If you're in any Western medieval story and you have a shot to kill a dragon, you take that shot. Full stop. Dragons are liars. A fact that Dobrynya learned when he made it to Kiev under the rule of the Tsar, Vladimir, not long after his arrival in Kiev. Dobrynya sat down to a feast. Apparently, his mother's reputation preceded him. She was the honorable widow, Ophemia Alexandrovna, and a mere mention of her name had earned Dobrynya an audience with the Tsar. It was at the feast that night, it was at the feast that night that he learned just how badly he messed up. A noble's daughter, Zabavia, had been out in her garden when she found herself in the shadow of wings. Twelve heads snapped at her household guards and anyone else who came to her aid. As the claws scooped up the fighting noblewoman, the dark wings flapped and lifted her effortlessly into the sky. And as quickly as the dragon had appeared, they were both gone. Oh, the dragon? I can stop her. Dabrinius spoke up. Laughter shook the walls of the hall as all eyes fell upon the boy. But then Vladimir held up a hand Her? Between bites, Dobryny explained. Oh yeah, the dragon? She was his sworn sister, and she knew better than to do this sort of stuff. He took a big gulp of wine. Oh, and did he have a story to tell? Dobryny shared his recent adventure with the entire hall, and that's how I ended up here at this table. I said, and that's how I ended up here at this table. A bench scraped the floor in the back corner, but all else remained silent. Not knowing what to do, Dobrinius started to repeat his last line a third time, but Vladimir broke in with a sigh. So, he said, if I have this right, you were lucky enough to have a dragon pinned under a magical hat, completely dead to rights, and you just let her go. Vladimir tipped his face forward, staring straight at the boy. Dobrynya nodded. He could really see how that didn't sound great. Okay, Vladimir said, rising to his feet. Here's what's going to happen. Dobrynya was going to go do what he should have done the first time. Head back to the Saracen Mountains and kill the dragon. Dobrynya took another bite. He wasn't sure he could find the hat again. Vladimir snapped his fingers, and a knight near Dobrinya smacked the food from Dobrinya's hands. He didn't care about the hat. If Dobrinya didn't kill the dragon, Vladimir would kill Dobrinya. We'll see Dobrinya, the self-described dragon slayer, actually have to fight a dragon, but that will be right after this. Dobrinha stared at the heavy door, rubbing the back of his neck, reminding himself not to make eye contact with his mom when she opened the door. Hey, so... So you did exactly what I told you not to do, and now you have to go fight a dragon? His mom asked. Maybe, Dobrinha replied. Come inside, son. At the table, the brave knight was in tears now he had to face this dragon but he didn't have a sword or a spear or a horse and everyone was mean to him and his mother embraced him he was an idiot but he was her idiot she told him to get some sleep tomorrow she would help him get ready there's not mucking out the horse's stalls and then there's letting manure pile up until it's up to your horse's knees dabrnya looked at the horse who had long since given up trying to move at all in his stall, and was now resolutely chilling in, like, two feet of solid waste. Why didn't we ever clean this out? Dobrinha asked. His mother looked at him. It was on his chore board. What what chore board? Exactly, the mother said. Look, Dobrinha wanted a horse. This was his horse. He just had to get him out of the stall and clean him up. He had been a brave horse in his time back when he served Dobrinha's father, and he would serve the son well, too. All right, get to work. And he did. Dobrinha pulled the horse from the filth of the stall, one sucking hoof at a time, and soon, the horse was free. He picked the hooves clean, noting the miraculous lack of thrush, and then, of course, gave the horse some mead. Then he took a nap. His mother roused him in the early afternoon, Asking if the horse was ready to go, he shrugged, saying that he scraped some of the poop off of him and gave him some alcohol, which I'm pretty sure are the only necessary steps when it comes to horse ownership. So yeah, he was good. Annoyed, the mother shook her head. She had something for him. Two things, actually. The first was a whip. It was made of seven kinds of silk. If the horse, named Burko refused to gallop, Dobrynya was to smack him until he did. On the rear, on the head, between the ears. Hit him until he goes, she instructed. I'm starting to think our family doesn't actually know how to care for horses, Dobrynya muttered. But he fell silent as his mother unwrapped her next gift. It was a spear. His father's spear the day has come. With this spear in your father's horse, my son, you will go to the Saracen Mountains. You will trample baby dragons and you will rescue Russian captives, the mother said, presenting the weapon to her son. There was a long pause before Dabrinha spoke up. That was pretty much the exact opposite of what she had said the first time when he left. What did she want him to do? Exasperated, the mother pushed the spear closer to her son. Yes, it was a different speech to illustrate how he had grown. It was now time for him to do what he couldn't do before, take his father's spear and kill the dragon. But no, just ruin the dramatic contrast, sure. Here, take the spear and whip and get out of here on your drunk horse. It took a few hours and a cup of coffee, but soon Dobrinya and Burko the horse were on the road, heading for the Saracen Mountains to kill the dragon ...and make things right. Debringia looked at the baby dragons... ...as they latched onto his horse's hooves... ...and legs. Huh. Wonder what the survival rate of these things is... ...if a dragon can lose a dozen of them... ...and then, like three weeks later... ...have a dozen more already hatched. Can't be great... It was then that he was, annoyingly, stolen from thought by the squeal of his horse. They'd made it to the Saracen Mountains within the week, and the next day, he had walked through a dragon's nest, the little monsters rousing and latching onto his ride. Dobryngas squeezed and then kicked his horse, clucked and leaned forward, but still, Berko wouldn't move, mainly because Berko couldn't move. The dragons were holding him in place, slicing at his legs. Dobrinya, being the wise equestrian that he was, knew that the only solution to being held in place by indescribable pain was more pain. He listened to his mom for once, took out his whip and beat the horse until the torment of the whip was worse than that of the dragons. With nostrils flaring and eyes bulging, Berko wrenched his hooves free and took off. Only to feel the sharp tug of the bit, Dobrinya was turning him back around. Now, to the horse, it was probably terrifying, but it went quickly, and soon, another dozen baby dragons were dead, this time more specifically trampled than stomped, and as Dobrinya and Berko sped onward, they heard something unexpected. Talking, they emerged from the pass to a clearing in front of a cave, and a dozen humans chained together. Dobrynga nodded, rushing captives, dozens of them. He slid from the saddle, strode over to where the chain emerged from the cave and brought his spear down hard on the metal. And it stayed pretty much how it had been because it was a chain. Yeah, you're gonna wanna stop doing that. You're gonna dent your point, one of the captives said. There's a latch over there. To bring a shot the group a look as he unhooked the chain holding them together during recess time. If they knew how to get away, why hadn't they done it yet? (laughs) Everyone laughed because the chain wasn't what was keeping them here. Dobrinius started to ask what they meant, but then he saw it and understood. Twelve heads emerged from the cave. Hello, sister. Dobrinius scowled as he gripped his spear. You've been busy not honoring your word to stop taking Russian captives. Yeah, hello. I am a dragon, said the dragon. Well, I won't fall for such deception again, Dobrinius replied. The dragon that smirked 12 times. Really? You're just going to make it that easy? Okay, yeah. You're right. You won't fall for it again. Because you'll be dead. Set and spike, man. Come on. All right, let's do this. The dragon roared and then charged. For all of Dobringa's inexperience and, let's be real, ineptitude, there was something special about the boy. He could actually stand up to the dragon with no magical and or holy hat the pair battled on the mountaintop for three whole days when things seemed the most dire and that's a pretty high bar on hour seventy-two of a fight with a dragon, a light appeared to Debrinya as he fought against the onslaught of heads. It was an angel of God. He had fought well. Three days had passed and so that meant only three hours remained. Three hours and he would strike the fatal blow so I wish we knew how it happened. But the angel was right. It's not like Dobrynya told Siri to set a timer or anything, but somehow, three hours to the second, the dragon made an error. At that moment, Dobrynya struck with his father's spear, plunging it deep into the monster's chest, in between all of her heads. Blood spewed, and she collapsed. Exhausted, Dobrynya rose. Tried to, anyway. The dragon kept on bleeding, and soon, the area where they were fighting was completely awash with dragon blood. Dobrynha might have wondered how there could be more blood than dragon, but that was quickly overmatched by his desire to not drown in dragon blood. A fear that was quickly becoming a reality because the ground beneath his feet had turned to thick mud. He was trapped. Soon, the blood rose to his chin. Oh, come on. He couldn't believe it. He had survived an actual fight with a dragon. He had killed the monster, and yet he was going to die? Right here? Also, he probably tried slurping a little bit of it to see if he could understand the speech of birds, but no dice. It was then that he heard someone clear their throat. Really? God saves you twice already, and you're not even going to, like, pray a little? The angel said. Dobrindra struggled to keep his mouth above the blood. Uh... Little help, please? The angel shrugged. Close enough. If Dobrynya struck the earth with his father's spear, the blood would disperse. You're welcome. In a flash, the angel was gone. Dobrynya immediately followed the angel's instruction. And sure enough, the blood started to retreat. Within moments, the blood was gone. And Dobrynya found himself standing next to the dragon's body. It was over. He had gone to the Saracen Mountains, he had trampled baby dragons, and he'd rescued Russian captives. Dobrinya did end up rescuing the nobleman's daughter in the end, and on their way back across the plains, they came across another bogatyr, a fellow knight, it was like when your friend offers to pick up the check right after the waiter leaves with your card. Oh, this guy was just coming out to help. Oh, he already did it. Oh, bummer. Up oh, next time, next time. And, of course, this bogatier had to take back the noblewoman. Because Dobrynya wasn't of the woman's same social class, and this story can apparently suspend disbelief for a 12-headed dragon that bleeds like an oil tanker, but not a peasant marrying a noblewoman... Dobrinja entrusted the safety of the noble's daughter to his fellow Bogatyr for the final like of the journey. Can't have the two fallen in love. As for him, well, he was going to rest. Three plus days of fighting a dragon eh, kind of took it out of you. So the boy took some time off. And after he had recovered, he decided to make his way to Kiev for his hero's welcome. Breaking camp, he leapt atop Berko, whipped his horse, and rode. But he was not alone. Out of the corner of his eye, there was another rider. First, it was a speck on the horizon behind him, kicking up dust from the road. But as the rider drew closer, Dobryny could see that this man, this man wore women's clothing. It wasn't actually until kind of too much later that Dobryny even had the thought that this mystery bogatier, this mystery knight, could actually be a woman. Following fast on his heels, Dobryny decided to give this interloper a warning. He rode up to an oak tree, slicing it clean through. Unlike the chain back of the dragon's cave, this one was successful. It creaked and fell. Dobrini smirked. That ought to make the rider back off. But it didn't. She followed closer than ever. Trying another tactic, Dobrini slid his horse to a stop. Burko reared, not liking his rider's harsh hands. In the saddle, Dobrini turned, and he struck at the stranger with his father's spear. With a blow that had just killed a dragon, except it merely glanced off her armor. Huh. They said the mosquitoes were bad out here, but I guess I'm just not feeling them, she said. Dobrinja looked all around him. It was a relatively dry plain. There weren't too many mosquitoes here. The woman rolled her eyes. Dobrinja's attacks. Those were the mosquito bites. It's, it's an insult. Oh, 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 got it. Good one. Dobrynya said, turning slightly pink. And also, this, the woman said, as she reached out at Dobrynya, grabbing a hold of his, quote, golden curls, and pulling him bodily from his horse, stuffing him into the bag at her side. I can't imagine Berko was too upset about this development. All Dobrynya had done for him was not muck out his stall, whip him relentlessly, and give him mead that one time. Dobrynya struggled in protest, but the woman helped him quiet down with a few quick taps from her spear butt. Hey, uh, Polyanitsa, warrior woman Natasha? Natasha's horse said to her. Look, she didn't want to complain, but she had Natasha, fully armored with all of her camping stuff, and now also this guy. She couldn't carry another fully armored Bogatir. This was how horses stumble and went lame. Natasha wrinkled her brow. Bogatir, this one. She reached into the bag one-handed, fishing around for a collar. She turned to her horse. Okay, how about this? If he's an old bogatyr, I'll show him respect and call him father. If he's a young one, a pleasing young one, then maybe I'll make him my special friend. Notice the eyebrow waggle. But if he isn't hot enough, I'll crush his head like an oatmeal pancake. Natasha's mare was, of course, just a horse, and she reminded Natasha of this. She really had no say. Uh, But still, the horse guessed a fun way to wrap up their girls' weekend was to meet someone or crush a dude's head, so go for it. Natasha found the knight's collar and pulled him up from the bag. She studied his face and smiled. They'll bring you? As it turned out, Natasha had been to Kiev quite often, In fact, she was there when Dobrynga had been called out in front of the entire feast for not killing the dragon when he'd had the chance. He hadn't noticed her because he'd spent most of that night trying not to be executed, and the rest of it moping. She was the daughter of the Lithuanian king. Bored with courtly matches, she and her mare had taken to the open field in search of a fight, hoping also to find a husband equal to her. Seeing as Dobrynga's clothes and armor were still streaked with blood, He was either a brave knight or a very unlucky one. Regardless, he and his golden curls were, quote, pleasing enough to her, so she just had one thing to ask him. Would he marry her? Dabrinha smiled sheepishly. Not that he was going to, but if he said no? Natasha replied that she would crush his head between her palms like an oatmeal pancake. Dabrinha laughed, then it was a yes. Ah, we're getting married. Please let me go. Together, the, let's say, happy couple, rode to Kiev. There, Dobrynya's mother sat waiting for them, knowing all along that her son would return. She met her scary new daughter-in-law, and the three of them presented themselves to Vladimir to be married. The boy, who had started the story in the shadow of his father, was now a knight in his own right. He had slain a dragon, after making an ill-advised, one-sided deal with said dragon, and was now married to a beautiful maiden he definitely feared. His name grew in fame all throughout Russia, and together he and Natasha lived happily ever after. Until Dobrynya decided to step out with a witch, but that's a different story for a different day. Next week, we return to the world of Greek and Roman mythology to see what happens on the other side of the war. We'll follow Aeneas as he scoops up his dad and all the treasure he can carry, flees burning Troy, and takes off into the night to found an empire. Eventually. If you'd like to support the show, there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a clear shower curtain built with pockets for your phone, tablet, and all your tech so you can lather, rinse, scroll, and repeat, you can get bonus episodes and ad-free versions of this show that you can use outside of the bathroom. Hey, and even in public. Check out mythpodcast.com slash membership for more info on the membership. But hey, if you'd rather support through something you can wear and holding your hands, we also have a little merch shop full of screen-printed tees, stickers, posters, and other cool stuff. Sometimes there's even limited run things we make by hand. For this and more, head over to shop.bardic.fm or see our links in the show notes. The creature this week is the Lavalon from Scottish mythology. The Lavalon is a true social distancing champion. And it's easy for this little rodent to follow CDC guidelines, even if it's maybe not by choice. You see, just by minding its mousy business, this noxious little creature kills everything, human, plant, or animal, in a 40-yard radius. And if the dripping poison goo or squirting deadly saliva don't get you, its toxic breath surely will. Found in deep lakes and rivers in northern Scotland, the Lavalon is a large-headed rodent that can be as small as a shrew or as large as a gnome, which is now a new standard unit of measurement, if you didn't know. Although it's small, it's hard to miss. Because once it settles into a new spot, it can turn even the loveliest of areas into a barren wasteland within weeks. Even other creatures typically immune to poisons will not survive this furry death trap. When farmers would notice their land, cattle, and neighbors dying suddenly, they would head out on a Lavalon hunt. So dangerous was this that songs were written about it, warning people to just not. In an ancient version of the rules of myths and legends, the song warned against going into their version of the Dark Forest, quote, lest the Lavalon come and smite you. Side note, should we make a Rules of and Legends song? Probably. But, like so many other characters from mythology, farmers would disregard the rules and head into the wilderness, despite the dangers. Why? It turns out that the Lavalon is both the problem and the solution. If they could catch this stinky little guy, they could soak its skin in water, and make a brew fit for curing their horses and cattle. Because who doesn't think of giving poison rodent skin tea to sick animals? Is the Lavalon just a messy little fellow who keeps moving from place to place looking for a friend? Is it a creature who just wants to settle down and doesn't know why people are always out to get him? If so, let's hope that someday it finds another toxic friend of the Mousy Order so they can settle down in a barren valley all their own. Just as long as it's far from everybody else. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Today's Creature of the Week was written by Tricia Harris-Evanson. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music, membership, merch, and more in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.